text for this afternoon's sermon is Genesis 2, the verses 18 through 23. After the sermon, we will respond by singing Psalm 128, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 2, the verses 18 through 23. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. We saw last time how Genesis 2 describes in some detail the particular creation of man. Chapter 1 recounted the beginnings of the heavens and the earth, and now chapter 2 provides the beginning of the human race. God carefully and purposefully forms man from the dust of the earth and breathes into him the breath of life. Human life springs into existence not by some chance explosion of molecules billions of years ago, not by the evolution of the ape, but by the singular creative act of the living God. What was in one moment a pile of dust became in the next instant Adam, the living being. And what our text goes on to relate is the next step in mankind's history, the creation of the woman. Adam starts his life alone. At the beginning of day six, he is the only human being but by the end of the day he has received a gift, a treasure of inestimable value. Adam receives his bride. I proclaim to you this word of God. God forms a woman as a helper fit for man. Adam's need, Adam's rib, and Adam's wife. God forms woman as a helper fit for man. Adam's need. When you think about the creation of man, then one of the striking things is indeed that Adam is created alone. The Lord does not form two piles of dust, one into a man and the other into a woman. No, he makes only one creature, the man Adam. He plants a garden for Adam and places him there, says verse 15, to work it and take care of it. Adam is on his own. While every other creature has its mate, While the animals were created in multiple numbers, Adam stands alone. And what we must see in this, beloved, is the master designer at work. There is always in the Lord's way a purpose and a method. We saw it already in the six days of creation, 
and even in the careful forming of Adam from the dust of the earth. The Lord does nothing without a reason. If you read through this account rather quickly, then you might have the impression that God is doing things on the fly. He creates Adam, but upon further reflection realizes that it's not good for the man to be alone. So then he sets about to find a solution to the problem. That's often how we work, isn't it? We don't have the ability to foresee every outcome or eventuality, and so we often change our course and plan as we go. But brothers and sisters, the Lord God never does things on the fly. For him, the outcome and the consequences are always perfectly clear. It was not a surprise to him that Adam needed a helper. Certainly, the Lord could have created Adam and Eve in the same instant of time, but he chose to do it in two distinct and deliberate steps. A clue to the Lord's purpose comes at the beginning of our text, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for the man to be alone. Isn't that remarkable? For each of the previous five days of creation, the Creator had observed His handiwork and every time could conclude it was good, but not so after Adam's creation. There's something not right here. Good in the context of the creation of all things does not only mean without sin, but has the sense of being able to fulfill its created purpose. For example, a train without tracks to run on is no good to anyone. A pen with no ink serves no purpose and is not good. Good means the design is complete, the thing created is whole, and nothing needs to be added or changed in order for it to serve God's purpose. So when Adam stands alone at the beginning of day six, he is not yet complete. Something needs to be added in order to make the creation of man good. And God wants Adam to realize that too. That's why he says it out loud. For the other five days, God simply observed his creation as being good. But now he states it out loud in the presence of Adam, it is not good for the man to be alone. God says that for Adam's benefit. The Lord is leading Adam along here, revealing to him the incompleteness of his situation, showing him how he needs someone to fill the void and make things good. The Lord wants the man to understand and appreciate the woman he will soon receive. That's also why God has Adam study all the animals. This may seem like an interlude in the story about woman's creation when seemingly out of the blue, God brings the animals to man. But again, the Lord does this with deliberate purpose. We find that in verse 19. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Adam had to name the animals. That may not seem important to us, for when we give names to things, then it's usually without a lot of deep thought or rationale. The kids will name their pet dog Murphy, or their pet cat Sadie, or their pet rabbit Mopsy. Parents will give their children names that sound unique or different, but very few have a distinct purpose or even know the meaning of the name. But in scripture, the giving of names is always loaded with significance and purpose, even more so in the creation account. 
In Genesis 1, we find that God gave names to things. He called the light day and the darkness night. He named the expanse sky and the ground land and the water seas. To give something a name in the Bible is to exercise authority over that thing. Even more, those names aren't just pulled out of thin air. No, they are names that reflect the very essence or character of the thing named. The names are loaded with meaning. So when God brings to Adam the animals to see what he would name them, he gives Adam his first task in exercising dominion over the creatures. Instead of God giving them names which reveal their character, he gives that task to his ruling servant Adam. And when Adam names all the animals, he doesn't simply pick names that have a nifty sound, nor does he choose names based on a whim. Rather, as God's vice-regent, as God's perfectly able appointed king, he looks with understanding into the nature of each animal and chooses a name based on what he sees there. And through this important assignment, God gives Adam a greater awareness of his own situation. Adam sees how all the animals have mates, but he has none. Even more, Adam has contemplated the nature of the beasts. He has considered the cows and horses, the pigs and goats. He has understood the character of sheep and lions, wolves and tigers, giraffes and elephants. Adam has seen each of the species God has made, and through it all is led to the conclusion in verse 20, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. The Lord knew that in advance, of course, but now Adam realizes it full well. In all this vast creation of animals, there is no match, there is no complement, there is no partner for the man. Adam is still alone, and it is not good. Do you see the high position the Creator bestows upon the woman, beloved? Without her, man is incomplete. Something is not good about his situation, so long as she is not there. You can look high and low in all creation. You can live with apes in the jungles of Africa. You can be raised by wolves in the forests of America. You can be tended by tigers in the thickets of India. But there is no creature that is suitable as a companion for man. There is no creature anywhere like woman. Husbands, do you realize that full well about the wife God has given you? The Lord shows Adam how precious his future wife will be as someone to take away his aloneness. She's the only one who can fill the vacuum and void in his life. She's the only one who can join him in his task as a companion fit for him. Do you realize how precious your wife is, brothers? Men tend to think that they're rather self-sufficient, that if push came to shove, they could live just fine on their own. But brothers and sisters, that's not the way God made things. It is true, and I don't want to diminish this either, that a few people are given the gift of living alone in order to serve God's kingdom in a different way. The Lord grants some the contentment of singleness and the ability to do particular work in his service, but those are exceptions. The rule of creation remains. It is not good for man to be alone. You men were created to be paired up with a wife, and you women were created to be joined to a husband as a helper fit for him. Man was, 
and is in need of a helper, says the Lord. Now that word in our day has a kind of inferiority attached to it. A fellow in business for himself might hire a student for the summer and say about him, he's my helper this year. That implies that he's not the one in charge, that he is not the one running the show, but he simply helps out. He's an extra pair of hands. He does what he's told and he gets paid at the end of the week. There's a boss and there's a helper. And some have in the past read that sort of concept into our text, as if woman was made as the inferior assistant to man to do man's bidding. To basically keep her mouth closed, do as she's told, and be thankful she has a roof over her head, clothes on her back, and food in her cupboards. But that word helper in the Bible has quite the opposite connotation. It never refers to someone inferior or second class, or even in a lower position. In fact, the same word used to describe woman is also used to describe God. In our pre-service song, Psalm 47, in the previous version of our book of praise, was rhymed, His the shields of earth, his the power the worth. He the God on high is our helper nigh. God is man's helper, and in no way is he less than man. Psalm 69 also says the same thing. But as for me, my prayer is, Lord, to thee. At thy own time, O God, my helper, hear me. Is there anything inferior about this helper? A helper in the Bible provides the power or ability that is lacking in the one being helped. The fact that man needs a helper at all shows his utter inability to fulfill his God-given task on his own. It actually shows a lack in man, a need in man, and the helper is the one who has the special ability to fill that need. So woman is created to help man complete the task of subduing the earth and ruling over the animals. Woman is the necessary complement to man, to help him populate the earth, to help him raise up the next generation of kings and queens, to be a companion for him in tilling the garden and keeping it. Man cannot do it alone, but he needs the companionship, the assistance, the blessing of a helper whom God formed from Adam's rib. For it is highly significant that God chooses to form woman from a part of Adam's own body. We read in verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. The Lord could have formed a second pile of dust at this time, independent from the man, and breathed into it the breath of life. But the Lord doesn't do that. He takes a part of man's own body from his side and makes from it a helper fit for man. That means that as much as man needs woman, so woman is dependent on man, for she comes from man. If we need to guard against male chauvinism in our time, we also need to guard against so-called female liberation. The feminist movement teaches that women are totally independent of man, can be happy and content on their own, and are in no way bound to men. Feminism proclaims that women are free to serve themselves, but the Bible says woman was made as a helper fit for man. Woman's existence is intricately connected to man. 
God created her out of man and for man's benefit, as his complement and co-worker in subduing creation. And any perversion of that will will not lead to peace and contentment, but to unrest and bitterness. Let me be clear. We find here a very distinct creation order. Man was made first, then woman from the man. That was done on purpose and has meaning, as the Apostle Paul says concerning the worship services of the Church in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul exhorts that a woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. There is a difference in roles here. Man is head of his wife and has authority over his wife. Notice how he shows that later in our text, when Adam names God's new creation. By naming her, he exercises his authority. She will be called woman. Man is leader. Man is the responsible head, while woman is submissive helper. But let me be equally clear. This difference in roles in no ways means a difference in equality, in worth, or in value. So many people accuse the Bible and us Christians of being patriarchal and domineering over women. But what the Bible teaches is not dominance, but headship. Not husbands lording it over their wives and ordering them around, but husbands loving their wives as their own body and caring for them with tender love, just like Christ cares for his bride. We'll look at that more in the next sermon, the Lord willing, but let's remember now that our model for marriage, and specifically the husband's model, is how Christ loves his bride, the church. And how does Christ treat her? He is our Lord, but he became a slave in order to save her. The church despised him, but he sacrificed for her benefit. He has authority over her, but he is never rough or abusive. Rather, he is always kind and gentle. He consistently puts her needs ahead of his own. Christ treats his bride like his own body in purity of love. Should we not treat our wives as our own body? Doesn't God show that, too, when he makes the woman out of Adam's own rib? For what the Lord presented to Adam after he awoke from his deep sleep was not some creature remote from himself, not some different species as yet unknown to Adam, but what the Creator brought was Adam's own flesh. Adam even cries out in joy, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. How could Adam ever demean his wife, his own flesh? You see, husbands who abuse their wives or who boss them around or treat them as second-class citizens have never understood that how they treat their wives is in fact how they treat themselves. She is flesh of your flesh. If you put her down, you put yourself down. If you treat her like dirt, you treat yourself like dirt. If you despise her, you despise yourself. Don't you understand that she is bone of your bones? Just like you don't endanger yourself or beat yourself or hate yourself, so it must never even cross your mind to do that to your wife. She is God's gift to you 
a suitable helper. And that word suitable in our text means something like corresponds to. Unlike any of the animals, the woman corresponds to the man. She is matched well with the man to help and assist him in his God-given task. And that certainly means producing godly offspring, being fruitful as God commanded in Genesis 1 verse 28. But that's not all it means. Wives are not just to stay barefoot, pregnant, and in the kitchen all the time. That may have been society's ideal years ago, but it was never God's ideal. That's why we read Proverbs 31. This chapter describes the noble wife that few can find, the wife who acts as the helper suitable to her husband. And what is it that she does? Is she told by her husband to clean the house, do the laundry, have dinner on the table when he gets home, and for the rest, keep quiet? Far from it. Verse 11. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing in value. Her husband trusts her to help him. He doesn't micromanage her life. He's not looking over her shoulder at every penny she spends. No, he trusts her to run everything well on the home front. To say it in modern terms, he gives her the key to the house and the vehicle, access to the bank account, and relies on her to manage it all well. Husbands, do you trust your wives? Do you give her room to be the good helper to you that she can be? Do you encourage her in taking on responsibility within the home and family life? And do you support her in the challenges she faces? For the good wife is, says verse 14, like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She provides food for her family on the one hand, but in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. The helper God gave to Adam is not some wallflower that is just around for her looks. She's not there to be part of the scenery. Nor is she only a mother, as important as that is. But she's there as a fellow worker with Adam to really assist and help him by managing the affairs on the home front while he is busy elsewhere subduing the earth. Wives, do you see how big a role you play in helping your husband? Are you faithful in running your homes well so that your husband is enabled to do his work? Do you keep abreast of the finances? Do you have a mind for organizing and planning ahead? Do you work at improving these qualities? Much more could be said about the good wife of Proverbs 31. But brothers and sisters, understand this. The wife as helper is no mere servant who has a few set tasks, but she is a co-worker with her husband, who knows of great responsibility both within and outside the home, all with a view to helping her husband. Such a wife is indeed a godsend and needed by the husband. It is even proper, as verse 28 says, that her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Sons and daughters, children, have you thanked your mother for all her hard work in caring for you lately? And husbands, have you praised your wife recently? Our tendency is to say nothing if everything is going okay. We only say something if things go sour, and then we open our mouths to criticize. But the noble husband of Proverbs 31 opens his mouth to praise his wife for her faithful work, care, and love. 
Are you being that noble husband? Open your mouth to speak positive words of encouragement, to compliment and praise your wife, and see the blessing it brings. It's only then you can really expect a noble wife as a wonderful gift from God. And we see that in Adam's wife. For notice that after God formed the woman from Adam's rib, he brought her to the man. God brought her to the man. The Father in heaven giving away his own daughter. How clear this pattern is. God gave one woman to one man. The Parliament of Canada can legislate a new definition of marriage that includes one man and one man, or one man and woman and one woman, but in God's eyes there is only one kind of marriage, between one man and one woman, and nothing will ever change that. And look at Adam's reaction. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Actually, the Hebrew is stronger. This at last is bone of my bones. It's as if Adam cannot contain his joy and wonder. He's just been through naming all the animals. He came to realize his own aloneness and that it was not good. He came to understand that though all the animals had their mates and match, he had none. Adam had looked high and low among the creatures for someone who could be a suitable helper. But in the end, it took a special creation of God to form the one he needed, the woman. This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What a wonder! What a miracle! What a joy! Adam took joy in his wife, for he understood that special creation she is. Do you understand that too, husbands? Some of you have been married for 50 years. Some for five. Some are about to get married very soon. God created your wife as a special helper fit for you. In the beginning, woman was formed not from man's head so as to have dominion over him, nor from his feet to be underneath him as slave, but from his side, from his rib so as to always be beside her, close to his heart. Your wife is a precious gift. Be filled with wonder as Adam was, and then together work as man and wife in harmony and love for the glory of your Maker. Amen.